Well, good morning. Glad you guys are here. It's always good to see you. It's always good to get to share with you. And uh, hopefully today that uh, as, as you, we worship together, pray together, study scripture together, that you leave today with just more confidence that God is with you. He is for you. He has created you for a purpose. So we're continuing our Advent series. We're talking about, you know, Advent is this anticipation that God is going to fulfill his promises. And specifically the promise that Jesus would come, that he would send a Messiah into the world. And we, we know that promise was fulfilled uh, 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born. And we're celebrating that in this season. But there are other promises of God that have not yet been fulfilled in our lives. And this Advent season teaches us to lean in to that, to expect those promises to be fulfilled. So we're talking about the power of small, small, small things. Um, big changes begin with small choices. And before we get very far in that uh, kind of tagline, when we talk about big changes, for many of us, we're kind of checking out on that. We're like, well, I don't, I don't like change. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want big changes. I want things to pretty much stay the same. Human beings are just like this. We have an aversion to change. It's, <clears throat> it's a fear of change for many of us that creeps into our lives. And this is a common, normal human experience. So don't think it's because of your age or because of your experiences or what. Most people don't like change. And that 1% that of people who sort of run toward it, we think they're really weird and we worry about them, right? Those people that really do like change and, and, and try to create it everywhere they go. I'm like that uh, on most Mondays. So just avoid me on Mondays if that's how you are. I think the reasons why that we, we try to avoid change are, are pretty foundational and basic for most people. For most of us, it's <clears throat> we fear a loss of control. We like this illusion uh, that we are in control of our lives, and, and this sort of threatens our illusion that, that we're in control. It leaves us feeling like we're passengers in somebody else's car instead of being the driver. I don't know about you, I would rather be the driver, right? Because then I get to decide where we turn and how fast we go and all those things. But change makes us feel like we're just a passenger and somebody else is in control and we have, we have no way to determine where we're going and how fast we go and we, we just would like to avoid that. Um, we also fear the unknown. Change is a lot about the unknown. And uh, Tim Ferriss uh, said that people would rather be unhappy than uncertain. And I think for a lot of people, that's true. Like, maybe my situation's not the greatest, but at least it's predictable, right? So don't give me something I, where I can't expect what's coming next. We, we don't like that. We don't like uh, to be thrown into the mysterious, the unknown. And for a lot of people, change just feels like loss. How many of you can think of something about the way the world used to be that you wish would come back? Yeah, we have, thank you for participation there, Kathy. Most of us can think of something and it doesn't take very long. In fact, in this building, in this space, many of you, your thoughts went to something about the way church used to be done. And you think, man, I really wish we went back to that, you know? We don't like change because it's loss and loss requires grief. And we have to go through this process of grieving the things that we, that we lost. But something else that's true about change is that growth is change, isn't it? Anytime something grows, there's change involved. Just look at my son's feet. We have bought shoes, look just like on it. It's like on the calendar every month we're going, all right, he's grown out of another pair of shoes. 
and we're in 13s now. And Lord, please let his feet stop growing. We, we can't afford to just keep buying shoes because growth is change, right? And change is painful. Therefore, many of us would rather not grow than to go through the pain of change. Well, is that, does that sound, when you say that out loud, does that sound like where we really should be? I would rather not grow because I don't wanna to have to go through the pain of change. Well, we don't say that out loud, but we structure our lives in a way that causes us to avoid the pain of change. And so many times we just end up stuck, stagnant, not growing. And things that don't grow don't produce fruit. This is where for us, if you're a follower of Jesus, we have to take this pretty seriously because Jesus kind of looks at his disciples and goes, you should be bearing fruit. There should be things coming out of your life that are a reflection of God's goodness and draw people to Jesus. And if you're not growing, that's not happening. So we have to wrestle with this fear of change and we have to be willing to accept it and embrace it for the sake of growth and the producing fruit. So what we're gonna look at today is we look at the Christmas story again. We're gonna be in Matthew chapter two and we're gonna look at how three different groups of people responded to the change that Jesus brought in. When Jesus was born, things changed. Things changed for the nation of Israel, even though not everybody saw it at the time. Things uh, changed for people who were devoted to God, though not, not everybody saw it at the time. And ultimately, things changed for the entire world, even though the world didn't know it at the time. Things were changing when Jesus was born. And the way that different people responded, the little actions, the small actions that, that people executed after the birth of Jesus, we have something to learn from that. So we're gonna start with... Um, Matthew chapter two, verses one and two, and uh, the Magi, or the wise men, as some of you are more familiar with. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So whenever we, we read something in scripture that's, that's a little, you know, kind of maybe too familiar. You've, you've heard the story of the wise man. You've sung songs about the wise man. You've seen them uh, in the nativity scenes. We, we sometimes need to just pause for a minute and look at this with fresh eyes and maybe ask the question, uh, why is this story even in here? Matthew set out to write the gospel of Jesus, the good news about Jesus to the world. Why, why mention this story? That's, that's, that's an important question. Where did these guys come from? Who were they? How many were they? Well, there are three, obviously, right? Nope, Bible doesn't say there were three. We made that up. Um, uh, we also made up that they were at the, at the manger scene. Have you guys seen them at the manger scene, the wise men at the manger scene? You got the three guys with the weird funny hats and they're holding the gifts and they were not at the manger scene uh, at all. With, you know, but that's how we picture them and they were in the, you know, all our little nativity scenes. They, they really, they weren't there. Uh, but we guess, because we've seen this story so many times and played out in plays and Christmas plays and movies and stuff, we kind of get our facts mixed up. So it's important just to stop in and say, why, where did these guys come from? Why are they here? Well, they, they came to worship Jesus. That, that's, that's why they're here. Well, how did they know who he was? How, how did they figure that out? Like, how did they find him? What is the deal with this star? Was it, did God just make a star just appear out of nowhere and then it disappeared? And like, there's just a lot of good questions surrounding this. But what I want us to focus on is how different people reacted to the news that Jesus, the Messiah, was coming into the world. So I, I wanna take a look, we move on from here and look at three small reactions to the arrival 
of a new king. So the Magi from the east show up and they start asking around. They're just in Israel. They, they don't know exactly where they're supposed to go. So they just start asking around, hey, where, where, where is, do you guys know about the, the birth of the king of the Jews? That's what we're here for. Can somebody tell us where he is? There's sort of like this expectation that if there's a new king that's been born, people should know. And so, hey, everybody, tell us where the new king is. We want to worship him and honor him. So here's uh, what happens in the next verse. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So the news that a new king has been born is not something everyone is celebrating. The, the, the Magi are pretty excited. I mean, they've, they kind of drove a long way to get here and they're really excited to see the new king, but no one else seems to be. Herod is disturbed by this and it says all of Jerusalem with him. Why? Because a new king means change <laughs> and people don't like change. Was Herod a great king? Not really. I mean, he did, some, he did some good things for the people, but he was also sort of psychotic and an egomaniac, and he had some issues, but he was familiar. It's the evil that they knew. So they, were, they, were, they would just rather be unhappy than uncertain. They didn't know what a new king would mean for them. So the people, the whole, the whole um, nation is disturbed by this news that a new king has been born, and they don't seem to really know what's going on. So how does Herod respond to this? Well, in verse seven, it says this. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. So Herod wants to worship the new king, right? Wrong. He does not want to worship the new king. Herod is terrified that someone is going to take his power from him. So what he actually wants to do is go and murder the new king. That's really what's in his heart. The Magi didn't really know this, but they were warned not to report back to Herod, not to reveal where Jesus was. So they actually just ignored his request. He said, come back and tell me where he is. And they just ignored that and they went home. So in verse 16, this is how Herod responds to that. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. No one likes to be outwitted. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. This is, this is just a horrible and atrocious response to his fear of losing control, his fear of change. There's a new king in town. So I have to do whatever I have to do to keep my position on the throne, which resulted in the death of probably dozens of baby boys in the town of Bethlehem and around there. Why? Why was he so afraid? Well, Herod, Herod was a, a powerful person and he had, he had sort of earned a spot. He, he had proven himself as a leader. I mean, he, he kind of endeared himself to the Romans when he, he fought with them in some civil wars in Palestine. Uh, he was appointed governor of the area of Judea in like 47 um, BC and became a king. They made him a king in like 40 BC. So he's been a king for 40 years by this point. And that kind of power, I mean, just sort of, it sits with you. It's, it's, it's something that you feel like is your right and your identity. And he, he had wielded this power for a long time. He wasn't always horrible. I mean, he could be generous. There were some times when the 
area went through a famine and he actually sold his own gold to buy food for the people. So there were some things that he did to take care of the people, but he was, he, he was paranoid of someone taking the throne from him. So here's, here's how far his paranoia went. When um, he thought that his wife was going to try to have him assassinated to put one of her sons on the throne, he had his wife killed. And then her mother, for good measure. There will be no mother-in-law jokes at this time. And then uh, he had two sons that he thought were going to come after his throne, so he had them assassinated as well. In fact, there's a record of the Roman emperor at the time, Augustus, talking about Herod, and he said, it's safer to be Herod's pig than to be his son. Because to be his son was to be a threat to his power. So the news that there's a new king in town is a threat to Herod's power, and he is terrified of losing control of all that he had control of. We are too, if we're honest. When we're faced with the reality that Jesus wants to be not just our friend, but our king, the one who has authority to tell us how to live, many people push him away. I don't want you to be king. Can we just be friends? And you just let me do what I want to do? But Jesus didn't come just to be your friend. He came to be your king. And for many of us, we respond the same way as Herod. We're afraid of giving up control of our lives to someone else. Let's look at another response that people had to this change, this new thing that God is doing. Um, so when, uh, when the Magi come and they're asking around, where is, where is the Messiah? Where is the king of the Jews supposed to be born? Herod uh, gathers all the religious leaders in verse, verse four. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is from Micah 5.2. And the religious leaders at the time just took that as a messianic prophecy. That, that means the Messiah is going to be from Bethlehem. So if, if there is a new king, then that's where, that's where you would find him. So these are, these are the most like educated Bible scholarly people of the day. They know the Bible inside and out. They're, everyone looks to them to see how are we supposed to follow God. And so they, they hear the news that the Messiah has been born. They pass on this information. And then what? They disappear from this story. They're just not there anymore. Why weren't they like talking to the Magi saying, hey, can we can we go with you? We'd like to go with you. I mean, if the Messiah has been born, we, we want to see him. We want to worship him too. Why didn't the religious leaders want to go worship the Messiah also? Their response was more like apathy. It was more like indifference. Why? Because this was not the king they were looking for. They, they were looking for a king, a Messiah, that would come to the Jews first. And the Magi are Gentiles. And on some level, the religious leaders are thinking, there's no way that this is really happening right now because if it was, God would have told us first. God would have told us first. I mean, really. 
because we're closer to him? Have you, have you ever found out some news or information secondhand or thirdhand that you thought you should have found out firsthand? Like somebody got engaged or married or had a baby or whatever and you found out on Facebook and you thought, they, they should have called me. Why didn't they call me? I thought we were close. That's how the religious leaders were responding to this news, I think. They, they're kind of looking at God going, hey, you, if this is really happening, you would have called us, right? You would have called us first, not these magi from the east. So they, this was not the king they were looking for. He, this is not a king that's gonna show up to the Gentiles first. So they just wrote it off because Jesus wasn't coming the way they thought that he should. He wasn't acting like their imagination of the Messiah predicted. So they didn't want anything to do with him. And I think that's a common response today as well. So we kind of look at Jesus and we look at some of the things he says and some of the things he calls people to do and we go, that's not really the king I'm looking for. I really just want a king who's going to affirm me and my unique individuality as a person and my freedom to be whoever I want to be. That's the kind of king I'm looking for. I'm not looking for a king that's going to He's gonna have some like expectations of me. He's, he's gonna actually want to be involved in my decisions and how I treat people and how I think about myself and my own identity. That's not really the king I'm looking for. So maybe I'll just wait for another king to come along. And finally, let's look at the response of, of the Magi. Verse nine after they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These guys had, had pursued Jesus for who knows how long they came from a far country in the east, maybe Persia. They're, they're walking um, because they had not invented uh, the Dodge Caravan yet. So they have a different kind of caravan. And, and it's just going to take a long time. And I, I just imagine them waking up hundreds of miles from home, crawling out of their tents, and being faced with a decision. Okay, we could keep going or we could go home. If we keep going, we have no idea how long this is gonna take, how much it's gonna cost. We, we know it's gonna take a while and we know it's gonna cost a lot, but we don't know how much. We don't know exactly what we're gonna find when we get there. I mean, they didn't even know where to go. They were probably as surprised as anybody that this king of the Jews was, was a baby that no one really knew about. And they're faced with that decision. And every morning, the easy decision is to go home. Every morning, the easy decision is to stop spending money, stop spending time. And every morning, they kept going. Because they were convinced that there was someone ahead of them that was worth their worship. So they just kept spending time and they kept spending money to make this trip because they were convinced there was worth, there's someone worth worshiping at the end of it. They pursued and they worshiped. And I believe that they went home in peace. 
I believe that they pleased God. Here's why I think they pleased God. Here's what the Hebrews writer says about pleasing God. This is from Hebrews chapter 11, which is, uh, you may have heard it called the roll call of the faithful when the Hebrews writer just goes through all these heroes of the Old Testament. Uh, here's, here's one where he talks about a weird guy named Enoch. So by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Well, how did he do that? And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So there's a few things being put together here. One is that Enoch pleased God. How do we know he pleased God? Well, he had faith. Well, how do we know he had faith? Because God rewarded him. Why would God have rewarded him? Because he earnestly sought God. He believed God was good and worthy of his worship and he just pursued God every day. Well, this is what the Magi are doing. They're not even Jews. They're they're not even followers of the law. They're not even under the covenant that God gave to Abraham. They're not part of any of that. But they recognize someone who's worthy of worship when they see him. And they pursued him. And that's faith. And God is pleased when we demonstrate faith and he rewards those. Well, how how were they rewarded? This trip did nothing but cost them. It cost them time. It cost them money. Uh, it cost them a, a close brush with a pretty egomaniac ruler. Um, what did they get out of it? They got to worship Jesus. That, that's really what they got. And they got to go home in peace. Their story ends with them traveling home content and satisfied and at peace, at peace with God because they pursued they followed the star as far as, as far as it would take them, right to the feet of Jesus. They returned home in peace. So compare that with the end of Herod's story. Remember Herod who responded with fear of losing control. How does his story end? Well, not long after Jesus was born, uh, Herod gets really sick and he knows he's gonna die. So he, he actually moves out of Jerusalem. He's got kind of a, a summer home in Jericho. He moves there. And he knows that he's going to die soon. So he has a bunch of prominent Jews rounded up and arrested under false pretenses. And he gives this order. He says, when I die, I want all of those people executed on the same day. Why? He says, I know no one is going to mourn my death, but there will be mourning when I die. So we're going to kill all these people. That's how his story ends. Does that sound like peace? Oh, it's awful, isn't it? The difference is he was terrified of someone else having control over his life. Whereas the Magi were willing to do whatever. They traveled hundreds of miles from their home. They spent a lot of money. They gave expensive gifts and they bowed down in a poor family's home to a baby because they were convinced he was worthy of their worship. And their reward was peace. Jesus says in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Peace is, as I mentioned before, it's the absence of conflict and it's the presence of God. It's the absence of conflict and the presence of God. And this is what Jesus came to bring us, this peace that comes from finding Jesus. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for all of us is to be at peace 
Paul talks about this so much in his letters. In Romans 5, he talks about our, our peace, that we are at peace with God. In um, Colossians 1, he talks about how God reconciled us to himself through the blood of Jesus that bought our peace. There's so much talk in uh, the New Testament about us being people of peace. And that peace that we have with God flows out from us so that we're at peace with the people around us too. Because we're, we're not in conflict with our creator. We have his presence in our lives. So uh, here's, here's what I want to ask. What is your response that there's a king who is inviting you to let him run your life? What is your response to that? It, it could be fear. It could be a fear that, that, that you're going to lose control. And, and, and that's a reality. When, when we give ourselves to Jesus, he, he takes control. It could be apathy. It could be the the mindset that this is, that's not really the king I'm looking for. I would rather Jesus be different and maybe then I would follow him. But if it's, if it's pursuit, like just this recognition that he's worthy of my worship and whatever it costs, that's what I'm gonna do. I have some suggestions for you of how you can pursue Jesus this week and find peace. Just a few things, and you, you may uh, write these down. They're not going to be on the screen, so you um, have to actually listen. Uh, here's this one suggestion. Memorize a brief passage about Jesus. Just memorize a brief passage. If you've ever done scripture memory, you know that it takes some work. Uh, it's not, memorizing is not easy uh, for most people, right? So uh, it, the effort that you put into memorizing a scripture helps it get buried into your heart uh, so that it's, it's there and available for you. Um, so just memorize something about Jesus. Here are some good um, places to start are Colossians 1, 15 through 20, or Philippians 2, 6 through 11. Just memorize a passage about Jesus. That's a way to pursue him as someone worthy of your worship. Uh, second idea, set an alarm uh, for a two-minute prayer break every day um, where you're, where you're going to just thank God for inviting you in to peace with him. And do, do that three times a day. Just two minutes, three times a day, six minutes a day. Who doesn't have six minutes a day to thank God? Just set an alarm on your phone. The problem is we don't, we don't think about it. Number three, reach out to someone that you think knows Jesus better than you. And just sit down with them. Invite them uh, to coffee or uh, take them out to lunch or just call them on the phone and ask them some questions. What does Jesus mean to you? Why do you love Jesus so much? Talk to somebody that you think knows Jesus better than you and just just let them talk about Jesus and why, why he means so much to them. That's, that's really encouraging. And, and last, and this is a suggestion, if, if you have a chance to sit down with your family um, and maybe over lunch today, and just as a family, make a list of all the reasons that you have to trust Jesus. What are the reasons that you have to trust Jesus? What has he done to earn your trust? Make a list as a family. Those are just some exercises that are pursuits of Jesus because he's worthy of our worship. We, we have this king who, is, who has come to, to save us, but also to lead us because we need to be led. We're like sheep. <laughs> and without a shepherd, we're, we're gonna get into a lot of trouble. But he's come to lead us and save us. And when we let him lead, we find peace. Friends, we, we live in a world where people are hungry for peace. Don't you think that? People are chasing it. Where are they going to find it? 
if followers of Jesus are not living at peace, man, we're missing an opportunity to show people what's possible. So as, as we look forward to the birth of Jesus, something that's already happened that we're looking forward to, isn't that funny? As we look forward to that, the fulfillment of God's promise and the peace that comes, may we be people of peace so that the world will know that the people God created to be and what he has to offer us through Jesus is life-changing. I want you to have peace. I want your neighbor to have peace. I want your coworkers to have peace. I want your family members who are far from God. I want them to have peace. It starts with us to be people who pursue and worship Jesus and know that the reward for that is peace with God. We're just gonna close with prayer. Would you stand? And we're gonna just take some time to pray and, and then we'll be dismissed. Maybe just think as we pray, what, what does peace with God mean to you? How, how do you think that that happens? How can you lean into that some this week? Let's pray through that. God, we thank you so much for Jesus. And even though sometimes we're not real comfortable with the idea of someone else running our lives, um, when we're honest, um, we can admit that we're not very good at it and that we make a mess of things. So we ask that we would just surrender to your will, to your way, to trust you, to know what's good and right for us. And we, we ask that you would reward our faith with peace and that peace would just flow out of us. Just this acknowledgement that we're right with you. And if we're right with you, man, what can hurt us? So God, help us to be people of peace, to live and this church family at peace with each other, to live in our community at peace with our neighbors in a way that draws people to Jesus. Would you do that in us and through us, God, for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen.